Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where all that the Catholic Church believes and teaches is served fresh daily. So come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzymski. And welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm sitting here in the luxurious corner booth at the Catholic Cafe. And, of course, I'm joined with my co-host, Tom. Hello. Tom, we are so lucky today that we're in the luxurious corner booth. We're always lucky when we're in the luxurious corner booth. But now it's important that it's big. Do you know why? <laughs> because you are large? I don't know why. <laughs> no, today we have uh, a lot of guests with us. You're right, we do. We are filling the luxurious corner booth with the fathers of the church. That's a whole bunch of folks. That's exactly right. So you're going to need to move on over a little okay. bit so we can fit them all in here today. That'd be great. But we're going to try to explain today what the Catholic Church teaches about these early Christian theologians, uh, writers, and, and great thinkers of the first millennium of the Christian church, whose writings have been preserved by the church and passed on from generation to generation. Yeah, just so so they know that we're not making this stuff up as we go. That's exactly right. One of the great things about the Catholic Church is that we do have a 2,000-year history. Yes. We weren't invented yesterday. No. And so, you know, it's an interesting thing. Part of my own personal story, my own faith journey, I was born and raised Catholic, but I don't know that I was in the most Catholic household out there, and we really weren't catechized very well. Mm -hmm. And so I really didn't know much about my faith. And so... Uh, as my uh, uh, Protestant friend Pat said, I was ripe for the picking. Low-hanging fruit. That's exactly right. And he plucked me good. Uh, and, and basically, I had a born-again experience. Mm -hmm. And I asked Jesus to be my personal Lord and Savior. You that's, know? that's a good thing, though. Well, that's right. It was, it was a great experience. But when I came home to my wonderful and Catholic wife, Bess, I said, hey, guess <laughs> what? I found Jesus. You know, And I was all excited. and had a big smile on my face. She wasn't smiling. Yeah. Now, she was happy about she my relationship. She didn't know he was lost. That's exactly right. But she, she, she was happy about my relationship with Jesus that, right. that had improved, obviously. Right. But she was saddened by the fact that, in her words, that I was leaving the church. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand that concept. You know, and actually it did sort of put a little stress on our marriage at the time. And, and so what I had resolved to do was to search for the truth. Mm -hmm. Being a new Christian, you know, I'd asked Jesus into my heart. You know, I want to know more about the faith. I want to know more about Christianity. And so I thought, well, I'm reading all of these new guys here. I you know, was listening to Hank Hanegraaff, the Bible Answer Man, and mm -hmm. I'd read some stuff by R.C. Sproul. And there's also people like Billy Graham and, and folks mm -hmm. like that. And, and they're all writing these things in their modern-day uh, writers about the faith, you know, theologians and whatnot. And I thought, well, if I'm going to search for the truth, mm -hmm. maybe what I should do is try to find those Billy Grahams and R.C. Sprouls of the first and second century. You know, certainly they had people that were writing about this new faith. I mean, it was it was, it was going like gangbusters back then. So from st listening to those guys or studying what they had to write led you to go back and say, well, wait a second, what about the guys before them? That's right. Well, it was a commonsensical thing to me. Right. I actually thought, well... Okay, if I want to find the true faith, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna convince my wife that she's wrong. I mean, she's right. a lifelong Catholic. Mm -hmm. She was God bless her. She stood firm and was saying, "No, no, this is the truth. Right? You know, this is the faith. This is the church that Jesus established." And so I wanted to prove her wrong. That was my goal. And so I really? went and looked at the church fathers. 
Okay. Because I thought, well, I'll get some of these writings back then, and and it won't be uh, something that came from the church. In other words, it won't be a a document that came out of the Vatican. Now, I know when you went to your wife with this, she's sitting there saying, I told you. You know, I, I love Bess dearly for, for many reasons. And probably one of those big reasons is she's a very gracious winner. But uh, certainly I would have deserved and I told you so. But, <laughs> but we digress. So from my newfound Christian faith, uh, the very idea of using history and tradition, these, these church fathers, to lend affirmation of my decision to be a Christian, it was a very Catholic concept. And, of course, at this time I no longer considered myself Catholic. Mm-hmm. When you're talking to... Uh, someone who's not Catholic, but they're a Christian, you're talking to a Protestant, mm-hmm. they're not going to be real deep in history. Right. You know, in fact, I think it was uh, John Henry Cardinal Newman, uh, a convert to the Catholic Church, uh, who, who said to be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant. Hmm. And the reason he said that was because if you start going back and reading, you won't find the Baptist or the Methodist or the Presbyterian or even the non-denominational evangelical. Mm-hmm. You're going to find Catholics. Mm-hmm. And that was the most amazing thing to me. Yeah. And that's the thing still to this day that I thank God for uh, giving me the wisdom to open up a few books. Hey, just out of curiosity, how long did that process take you? It took me about a year. The first part of it took me a year. Really? From the point of time when I told my wife and told the church, I told God, I said, you know what, God, I'm going to take this next year, and I'm going to devote it to finding the truth. Pretty intense year or or just kind of? Oh, no, it was intense. Was it really? You have to know something about me. I was not an avid book reader at all. Uh, All through my childhood, I read, uh, you know, I have every Encyclopedia Brown book ever sold by Scholastic, you know, at a dollar a copy, you know, and that's what I read. That surprises me because after seeing your picture in the yearbook, your (laughs) high school yearbook, Oh, yeah? You would think that you would be an avid reader. Just by the way I looked? Yeah. Did I look a little nerdy to you, Tom? Just a little, not much. You know, it's hard sitting here, folks, next to a next to a jock. Next to a, you know, I'm not going to get into those kind of jokes. Uh, but I, I, maybe I was a little nerdy. I was in the science club. Yeah. But I didn't read. I liked stories. Yeah. I loved movies and still love movies. So I like a good story. So not only did you discover the church fathers, but you, I you found an appreciation for the reading. <laughs> I cracked a book, man, blew some dust off of some books. That's great. And I will tell you now that I have a huge library at home. Now, oh, I know you do. That's not just uh, uh, for show either. Right. I've cracked those You really books. have read them. Uh, and I, I tell you what, when it comes to something like the faith, I can't get enough. Uh, that's great. And so that first year, I was reading a lot. Yep. And I read some, some classic uh, conversion stories uh, like Scott Hans in his uh, Rome Sweet Home. Good stuff. Uh, a guy named uh, Curry. I can't remember his first name. Uh, and he wrote uh, Born Fundamentalist, Born Again Catholic. Mm-hmm. And that's another good story. And each of those guys in their conversion stories talk about taking a lot of Catholic doctrines and dealing them with yeah. them one at a time. Crossing the Tiber. Who wrote that? That's Stephen K. Ray. That's a good one, man. We're hoping to have him as a guest one day. Really? If he can find his way to Memphis, we're going to grab him. Well, come on, Stephen. We're, we're waiting. We'll slide one of the church fathers out of the booth for well, you. speaking of church fathers. Good let's, segue. Uh, yeah, thank you, Tom. Let's, let's mosey in. But you know what? I'm actually getting kind of thirsty. You know, have you ever noticed how you have managed to get the tab pushed my way? Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> no, Tom, ladies and gentlemen, I haven't. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I'm the one that always pays the tab for this booth, by the way. But the, our waitress today, Patty, slid a note to me, and I thought it was the tab. I was kind of used to that. It was actually... A little note she asked me to make sure I mention her name. So 
Well, there, there you go, Patty. There's your plug for the day. But you still would be getting She's the tab. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm keenly aware of that. <laughs> well, you know, one of the things I learned when I was born again, mm-hmm. one of the things I learned was an intense appreciation for Scripture. Mm-hmm. And knowing that from a Protestant perspective that Scripture is the sole authority. It's fairly well accepted in Protestant circles. And so I was taught that I needed to find my answers in Scripture or at least make sure they were scripturally sound answers. Right. And there were a couple of pieces of scripture that I discovered early in my my search for the truth. And one of those was in Deuteronomy in -hmm. chapter 32, verse 7. It says, remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations, ask your father and he will show you, your elders and they will tell you. Mm -hmm. And then also in the Psalms, Psalm 78, verses 2 through 4, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old Things we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders which he has wrought. And so both of those pieces of scripture tell us Mm -hmm. that we should be aware of what the fathers, what our fathers are telling us. Right. As a sideline, this is one of the reasons why we call our our priests in the Catholic Church our fathers. Mm -hmm. We call them fathers because they are our spiritual fathers. Right. And, and what Scripture is telling us to do is to listen to our fathers. But then also we have these guys called early church fathers. Mm-hmm. And these are the people who were writing from the time of Jesus on. Mm-hmm. Now, typically the Catholic Church will teach that the, that the early church fathers, uh, the patristic fathers, mm-hmm. would be the ones that taught from the first century to about the eighth century. And so we, what we want to do is we want to examine what those fathers said about the church. That'd be great. And you know what? What? We're going to do that when we come back. Oh, man. But first, Don't touch I, that dial. That's exactly right. <laughs> A cliffhanger. There Folks, you go. what's going to happen? Will Deacon Jeff be Catholic when we, need, we come back we on need the other some, side of We need break? some music, some dramatic music We do back need there. some. Well, we're not going to have dramatic music. Oh, man. But there is still plenty of drama to be found at our website, www.thecatholiccafe.com. And if you visit us on the web, you're going to find this and other shows recorded as MP3s available for your download. Or you can listen to them right there on the website. You can also sign up for podcasting, which is free in one click. You also can see several different links to other great resources on the World Wide Web. If you're interested in becoming Catholic or finding out more about the Catholic Church, it's all there. And, of course, you can contact me, Deacon Jeff, at thecatholiccafe.com. So... Please stay with us and we'll be right back. I'm Bess Drzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. St. Irenaeus was a bishop in the late 2nd century. He was one of the earliest church fathers whose many extant writings bear witness to the apostolic nature and authority of the Roman Catholic Church. Because of his relationship and proximity to those that were actually taught by the apostles themselves, being a disciple of Polycarp who studied under the apostle John, St. Irenaeus was known as an apostolic father. For this reason, his writings are treasured by the church and still provide great insight into the development and promulgation of the doctrines of the then fledgling but flourishing Church of Rome, the church founded by Christ himself. One of his greatest theological writings was a five-volume work entitled Against Heresies on the Detection and Refutation of the Knowledge Falsely So-Called. 
In this great work, St. Irenaeus espouses many of the doctrines that have defined the Catholic Church for all of its 2,000 years. On the authority of the Catholic Church, he said, The tradition derived from the apostles of the very great, the very ancient, and the universally known Church, founded and organized at Rome by the two most glorious apostles, Peter and Paul, as also the faith preached to men which comes down to our time by means of the succession of the bishops. For it is a matter of necessity that every church should agree with this church on account of its preeminent authority. On sacred tradition, he said, The apostles, like a rich man depositing his money in a bank, lodged in the church's hands most copiously all things pertaining to the truth, so that every man, whosoever will, can draw from her the water of life. He also spoke of the Catholic understanding of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. St. Irenaeus tells us, Jesus has declared the cup, a part of his creation, to be his own blood from which he causes our blood to flow, and the bread, a part of creation, he has established as his own body from which he gives increase to our bodies. The writings of St. Irenaeus have indeed served the Church well as a genuine reflection of the truth of her teachings and a witness to the development of our understanding of God's revelation. To this very day, he is widely read by those wishing to immerse themselves in the living history of Christianity. The exact nature and date of St. Irenaeus' death is unknown, but his impact on the early Church was invaluable and unmistakable. I'm Bess Trzymski, and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff. And welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, and I'm still sitting here with Tom. Tom, Hello. you won't go away, will you? No, it's like a bad penny, man. I just but, keep coming back. But you, this is a cliffhanger episode here, and so now we're going to find out yeah. what I found out. Uh, let's let's get on with it. Yeah, we're going to dive into some of what the early church fathers taught about the church. Fascinating stuff here. Fascinating indeed. You know, one of the first questions I get from Catholics and non-Catholics alike is about the name of our church. You know, when was the Catholic Church first called the Catholic Church? Good question. Well, I have the answer. Let's hear it. The, the first writing okay. that we have where it says, uh, in fact, in the Greek it's Ecclesia Catholicos, which means the Catholic Church, where Catholic is the adjective that modifies or describes the church, saying the Catholic Church, not a church that is Catholic. Right. Catholic meaning, of course, universal. Right. So if it says a church that is Catholic, it's merely saying a church that is universal. Yeah, that's small c, Catholic. That's right. But if it says... Uh, the, the Catholic, Catholic Church, yes. that means now Capital. we're naming things. Capital C. That's exactly right. And St. Ignatius of Antioch, mm-hmm. way back in 110 A.D., when he was writing to the his letter to the Smyrnaeans, he said, Let no one do anything of concern to the church without the bishop. Let that be considered a valid Eucharist, which is celebrated by the bishop or by one whom he ordains. Wherever the bishop appears, let the people be there. Just as wherever Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. 110 A.D. That's just a tad over 70 years after Jesus walked the earth. Pretty pretty close to the beginning. That's exactly right. And, and so with St. Ignatius, we see a church with a, with a bishop, a valid Eucharist, ordination. In short, we see the Catholic Church. This is just one of the first passages that I saw, by the way. And, and you know what made me think? 
I've got to look deeper into this thing. Yeah, you said first, so that means there's more. Oh, there's lots more. In fact, I'm thinking there's lots of different kinds of flavors of church. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, I know Jesus prays that there's one church. Now, flavors, you mean? Different there's varieties. Some over here, and there's a Catholic That's right, over and here. I thought okay. that's perfectly great, right? Yeah. Well, what did they say? What, what flavors were around back then? Uh, St. Clement of Alexandria uh, has some good stuff to say, and, and this is in 207 A.D. He wrote in his uh, work called the Stromata, he wrote, Therefore, in substance and idea, in origin, in preeminence, we say that the ancient and Catholic church is alone. Hmm. Okay, so he's saying there's one church. Talks about preeminence, etc. And let's look at St. Cyprian of Carthage. He says, God is one, and Christ is one, and one is his church, and the faith is one, and his people welded together by the glue of concord into a solid unity of body. And so he's talking about the one church. There's only one church at that point in time. There's not a whole bunch of different varieties of churches where some people will have you believe that's, that's the case. Yeah, I've heard people talk about the body of Christ. You know, we are all the body of Christ. And we are all the body of Christ. But, but, but within that one church, correct? The early church fathers viewed there being one church. Right. And this church was the body of Christ. Right. Okay. And so uh, it wasn't until later that we started having a variety of different denominations right. of Christianity. Uh, St. Cyril of Jerusalem says the church is called Catholic then because it extends over all the world from one end of the earth to the other and because it teaches universally and completely one in all the doctrines which ought to come to men's knowledge concerning things both visible and invisible, heavenly and earthly. So, I mean, to me, I'm reading this and my eyes are kind of popping because this is not what I was hearing at the church that I was now attending, which was not a Catholic church. And these are the Billy Grahams in the first few centuries. These aren't guys that are just... You know, well, 1700, not. 1800. No, this is, yeah, that was uh, St. Cyril. It was from 347 A.D. Okay. In his uh, catechesis okay. that he was writing. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I started looking at things like, well, let's look at a couple of things that are concepts, doctrines that are specifically Catholic. Sure. You know, because these are the things that I was looking for. These were the things that I was going to prove my wife wrong on, by the way. Okay. <laughs> so let's look at what the church fathers said about a variety of these things. For one, we'll talk about apostolic succession. Our apostles knew through our Lord Jesus Christ that there would be strife for the office of bishop. For this reason, therefore, having received perfect foreknowledge, they appointed those who have already been mentioned and afterwards added the further provision that if they should die, other approved men should succeed to their ministry. That was the letter to the Corinthians by St. Clement of Rome Mm -hmm. way back in 80 A.D., so, you know, just a few years now, 50 years after Jesus died, right. we're talking about succession of bishops in office. Mm-hmm. Now, how many churches today have bishops that succeed other bishops, that have ordinations where laying on of hands occurs in an unbroken line of succession? I'm thinking one. Well, there is only one church that traces its ancestry, this line of succession, all the way back to the first pope. Right. To the first pope who was Peter. Right. And speaking of Peter... Mm-hmm. There's some early church uh, uh, writings there, too. St. Ignatius of Antioch said in 110 A.D., Ignatius, to the church also which holds the presidency in the location of the country of the Romans. Okay, he, this is the opening to his address, the letter of the Romans. So there we are saying that the presidency, right, the leadership of the church is in Rome, mm-hmm. the country of the Romans. Mm-hmm. So that's the first point. St. Clement of Alexandria says, The blessed Peter... The chosen, the preeminent, the first of the disciples, for whom alone and himself, the Savior, paid tribute. Mm -hmm. 
So obviously, St. Clement of Alexandria is telling us that Peter was the first among the apostles. Right. St. John Chrysostom, now he was the patriarch of Constantinople at the time in 390 AD, said in his homily on Matthew, For the Father gave to Peter the revelation of the Son, but the Son gave him to sow that of the Father and that of himself in every part of the world. And to a mortal man, he entrusted the authority of all things in heaven, giving him the keys Mm -hmm. who extended the church to every part of the world and declared it to be stronger than heaven. That's uh, St. John Chrysostom talking about Peter. So obviously St. John Chrysostom believes that Peter was the first pope. Now as you're discovering this process, what's happening to you? Are you uh, shaking your head? Well, (laughs) now I'm thinking, uh uh-oh. I'm going to have to go back to my wife and tell her that I was wrong. <laughs> you know, that was the hardest part a, for me. That's a fate worse than death. It can be, but you know what? We're <laughs> humble people, Tom, and we should and we should realize that we we too err, and that we need to be able to go to our wives and say, "Honey, I'm sorry." Yeah. And you know what? I actually did, but uh, there were so many other doctrines. I wasn't totally sold yet, but I was starting to see the picture. And I started to realize, as I started to search for specific doctrines, mm-hmm. I started to look for things like, well, what did the early church teach about baptism, regenerative right. baptism? Right. The idea that baptism actually does something. It's efficacious. It gets rid of sin. Mm-hmm. And here, let's look at uh, St. Augustine of Hippo in 420 AD in his work against two letters of the Pelagians. He writes, baptism washes away all, absolutely all our sins, whether of deed, word, or thought, whether sins original or added, whether knowingly or unknowingly contracted. Hmm. I mean, St. Augustine is pretty straightforward here. Baptism erases sins. And 420 A.D. That's right. And he's not alone. There right. are so many other fathers who say these same things. And I do want to stop for a second and just mention that it is important for us to understand that the church fathers in and of themselves are not infallible teachers of the faith. We don't believe that what they say is scripture, that it should be treated like scripture. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in individual fathers or in individual writings, we don't necessarily as a Catholic have to believe what they say as an individual or as an individual point. But if all of the church fathers have consensus, if they all agree, then we as Catholics need to consent to that. Because basically what they're doing is they're passing on that sacred tradition. Mm -hmm. They are reflecting the truths that are taught by the church. So where there is consensus among all the fathers, we need to adhere to that. We need to realize that. And all these issues I'm I'm pointing out now, Mm -hmm. all of these particular uh, doctrines, Mm -hmm. like infant baptism, Mm St. Gregory of Nazian said, Do you have an infant child? Allow sin no opportunity. Rather, let the infant be sanctified from childhood. I mean, he's telling us that we need to baptize our infants. Right. And, of course, one of the biggies, the true presence, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, well, that was obviously uh, something that that the Catholic Church has always taught, but I had to see it in writing. Mm -hmm. St. Ignatius of Antioch, again, in 110 A.D. said, Heretics abstain from Eucharist and from prayer because they do not confess that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So already, 70 years after Jesus' death, Here's St. Ignatius telling us this is the flesh of Christ when we have Eucharist. Hey, speaking of confess, what about confession? Yeah, confession to a priest. This is also something that's been taught from earliest of days. St. John Chrysostom, when referring to priests in his uh, document called On the Priesthood, 
386 A.D., he said, Not only when they regenerate us, but also after our new birth, they can forgive us our sins. Okay, so the priests can forgive us our sins. St. Cyril of Alexandria, in his commentary on John in 429 A.D., said, Men filled with the Spirit of God forgive sins in two ways, either by admitting to baptism those who are worthy, or by pardoning the penitent children of the church. So here we see confession again. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, some of these doctrines, some of these practices have actually grown in our we've we've grown in our understanding of them. They've developed in in a sense that we now see them more clearly and know how to exercise them in a better form and fashion. Right. But we've never reversed their meaning. We've never gone back and said, "Well, that actually isn't something that the church taught." Right. You know, or we've never said, "This is something brand new. We're just inventing." Right. Everything that we teach today has been taught in some form or fashion maybe in a less developed state, but nevertheless truly from the earliest times of the church. Right, right. So I know we don't have time to go in. There's so many more. There's, we, there we really are. The uh, celibacy, the holy orders, uh, female ordination, Mary being the uh, ever-virgin mm-hmm. mother of God, mm-hmm. so many different things that we could cover. Purgatory, it's all covered by the early church fathers. So I advise anyone who's concerned Anyone who wants to find out any more about what the church fathers taught, they can do one of two things. One, go to their local bookstore, mm-hmm. their their Catholic bookstore preferably, because mm-hmm. you'll find a, probably a more expanse uh, collection of early church fathers' writings. But also, actually, many Protestant uh, church bookstores will have some works on the church fathers and sort of... Look at these with an open mind and see if you can't see some Catholic doctrine coming through in some of these books. Or they can email you or go to the website and check out one of the links. That's exactly right. The World Wide Web is a wonderful resource. You can go right. and you can Google Early Church Fathers mm-hmm. and you will have an, an evening of uh, you know pleasure <laughs> yeah. reading nothing but thousands upon thousands of documents that are, are complete, extant, and listed on the World Wide Web, and there for your perusal. I've looked myself, and there are tons and tons. Now, you'll also have commentaries. You'll also have people's opinions. You'll have various blogs that will tell you that maybe you shouldn't listen to this or that or this guy was in error, etc. But you'll at least have those early writings that you can look for yourself and mm-hmm. see. So this was a wonderful and very interesting trip, I hope, for our listeners. I hope so, too. About what the Catholic Church teaches about the early church fathers. Yes, indeed. And we could share so much more, but we have run out of time. We have. So what we want to do now, Tom, is what? (laughs) We want to close this show with a prayer. We always do that. So we're going to do it again today. All right. Heavenly Father, you have given your church the gift of great wisdom over the centuries in the truths laid down by the many learned souls who have gone before us. Open our hearts. Let their words sink deep within us so that your holy truth may permeate our very souls. We ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association and is broadcast with ecclesial permission from J. Terry Stive, Bishop of Memphis in Tennessee. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe. There's always room for one more at our table.